Good morning. Glad you could join us for worship this morning. If your row has not already passed the attendance pad, would you please do that from the outside in? And as you sign in, pay attention to those in the pew with you, and you get to greet them here in a little bit. If it's your first time with us, it's our privilege to have you here, and we ask you allow us to give you some more information about our church. It's a packet that tells more about the ministries here at Alden Union. There's also a card in this packet that we ask you to take out of the packet and fill out and put in the offering plate later in the service so we can acknowledge a visit by letter. So if it's your first time with us, if you'd raise your hand high, Pastor Paul's coming up the center aisle. Keep it up till he's next to you, and you'll make sure you get that packet of information. Uh, we're thankful for everybody who participated and prayed for our Trunk or Treat outreach, outreach last Friday evening. Uh, the estimates were about 800 kids came through. And so we trust the results of that outreach to God and that we'll see fruit from that later. Uh, this morning, we welcome Dr. David Gardner as our fall Bible conference teacher. And you'll get to hear from him a little bit later. We're not going to go back over his biographical information. We gave that to you, but we do ask you participate in each service. Be here for all the services for this, that you pray for what you're going to get from the service, but pray for our speaker. We want him to enjoy this as much as we do. And so you pray for him and pray for ourselves that the Holy Spirit will work as we listen. Uh, there's an encouraging word in the bulletin for your great response last month to the food donations for those in need. We gave over in abundance, and they were happy for that in their food pantry. We have more and more need each month for food to give out, and so you have a list of what they need for this month. Some brought in today. Maybe you forgot yours. You can bring it in later in the month. But keep bringing that in to encourage that ministry. Uh, men, Saturday morning at 8.30 a.m., downstairs in Fellowship Hall, men's breakfast. Dr. Garner will be speaking there also. Uh, they would ask you to sign up at the toolbox that's out the back to your left down the hallway. Men's toolbox, sign up so they know who's coming and they can plan on that. And then don't forget our church-wide cleanup day on Saturday morning, November 15th. That we can have more here, we can get more done. So we want to take care of the properties that God has given to us. You notice the top of your order of worship, Hebrews 4.15, reminds us we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And then verse 16 goes on to say, Then let's come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What a great thing way to start this morning that we start in prayer, and you go to the throne of grace and ask for the grace and mercy you need this morning as we worship together. So spend a few moments in prayer. Father, we're so thankful we can come to you in prayer and bring our petitions for, to you. And we're thankful this morning we know we are to worship a God who is here with us and is present and is active, working in our hearts and lives. And we want him to work in us this morning. We want to worship you in the way you tell us to worship you, that it's in spirit and in truth. We want to listen to you. We want to listen to the Spirit. We don't want to grieve or quench Him this morning. 
So may you help us to focus our hearts and minds on you, on your word, that we would listen carefully and respond joyfully to what you present us with this morning. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. Stand, please. I'd have to walk a little distance, but let's greet each other this morning. Let's all stand and let's sing together.
Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Rebecca. If you would please take out your hymnals once again. Let's open up to hymn number 387. I'm going to sing together, Oh, to be likely. And let's stay seated as we sing together. 387.
Let's join together for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the prayer that we've been able to sing, to be like the Lord Jesus. And I pray that for each one of us, we would understand that that is a prayer, that is a desire, it's a longing, it's something that you've called us to. And I pray that you'd help each one of us to take that very, very seriously. Thank you so much for gathering us together this morning. I thank you for every person who is here, each one who's very, very special to the body, each one who's very special to you, each one with his or her own set of needs and desires and wants and maybe even stresses, concerns, worries. I pray that even here this morning, as we're reminded of the reality of the Lord Jesus and the gospel and the fact that he's here with us now, that it will be a comfort and an encouragement and even a challenge to each one of us. We thank you that you've placed on our hearts a desire to share the good news of the Lord Jesus with our community. We thank you for so many recent events where we've seen the community reached for, and we've seen people who are willing to be a part of that. Thank you for the Trunk or Treat outreach on Halloween. Thank you for so many people who were involved in one way or another with that. And thank you for so many folks from the community who came and were a part of that display of love that was shown to them. And thank you for the ESL ministry that reaches out to our community. Thank you for the way that uh, unexpectedly we're able to minister to many more people than we anticipated. We pray the same for Awana. Thank you for that ministry as it reaches out into our community and Explorer Girls, for the preschool, for the after-school ministries. For Alden Cares, thank you for the really good response that we've had in reaching out to the community, even with food. And we thank you for the missionary ministry that's all over the world. And this morning we're thinking of Don and Sue Apgar in a special way ministering to the internationals out in California. Thank you that, as we've heard from them, some things are going very well. Other things we continue to pray for that they'll go as well. But thank you for the people that are being reached for you. Today, as we think in terms of the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, we think of believers all throughout the world who are being persecuted. We think of Christians and their families, we're told, in more than 60 countries who are facing extreme persecution. It involves more than 100 million people every day. And so we understand that that persecution is real We understand that so much is going on. We think of ISIS forcing Christians to convert to Islam or pay a tax or face death. We think of a country like Nigeria where the Boko Haram, that militant Islamic group, killed more than 2,000 people in 2014. And we could go country by country and think about all that is going on. We understand that we're called to pray for the persecuted church. Sometimes it's hard for us to know what to pray for because in one sense, persecution seems to be a good thing. They say the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We see that in the New Testament. We see that all over the world. So we're hesitant to pray that the persecution would end because that doesn't appear to be your will. That doesn't appear to be your plan. But we're glad that there are times we don't know what to pray for, but your Holy Spirit makes that into an eloquent prayer before you. So we trust you with the outcome of those who are persecuted. 
We know that we can pray for courage for them, for peace. We pray for protection for them. We also want to pray for the persecutors. We are told to do that, to pray for them, to love them, to love the enemies. And so we do that and ask that in a special way as they see the courage and the love of those they're persecuting. They'll see the Lord Jesus in that and be drawn to him. We pray for our students who are facing a certain amount of persecution in many regards, the form of ridicule, maybe ostracism from the kids who are around them. We pray for Gianna Deluzio and Eddie Donahue in particular, our college students of the week. We pray that you'll minister to them and through them. We pray the same thing for our men and women in the military. We think of John Caney representing them. Uh, John in the Navy, especially as he awaits his new assignment in January that could be anywhere in the world. We thank you again for Dave Garner, our speaker this morning. We pray that you'll encourage his heart, that you'll bless him. Thank you that he came to be a part of us. And I pray that for him, he'll be encouraged as he sees how we respond to your word. And thank you for the time in worship right now where we can worship by giving. Help us to give to show that we love you to show that we're not holding on to the things of this world, but we're using them. We pray that you'll take our gifts and use them like the Lord Jesus did the loaves and the fishes and multiply them. Use them here and around the world to further your cause. We would thank you for that now. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's take out our hymnals once more. Let's open up to hymn number 435. I invite us all to stand as the children are dismissed, and let's sing together, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Good morning. Before we get into our message this morning, just a couple of words of thanks. Uh, one of them to you all for inviting me to come this week, especially to Pastor Paul and the staff here. Very grateful to be here. But I also have a little different sort of word of thanks that I want to communicate. Um, 18, 19 years ago, my family and I uh, made our way to Philadelphia. I was coming back to school again at that stage we had uh, four of our six children they were all very small at that stage and uh, we made our way to Philadelphia and um, though I had commitments to go to school we did not have a place to live nor did I yet have a job but here we came and in God's providence um, we were able to stay actually in one of your apartments here for two months as we were getting our feet under us. So our first foray into the Philadelphia area was right here on this property. And it's wonderful to be back almost 20 years later. So delightful to be with you. Um, grateful for the opportunity to minister together this week. I'd like to invite you now, if you would, please take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We will be reading verses 14 through 16. 
as you're turning to that passage, let me just inform you a little bit about what we're going to be doing this week for your Bible conference this year. I am mindful of the great hope that we have in the gospel. I hope you are. I'm profoundly aware each morning as I awaken of the promises that are secured for us by the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a, a bit of, a, uh, of an issue, however, with many within the evangelical community in terms of our concept of a biblical faith. And what I mean by that is that there is some sense that our faith is a deferred faith. It's almost as though we would see our faith somewhat like an IRA, that we put in our deposits of faith now and there's no benefit to us now. The benefit is all yet future. And my task this week is actually to turn our attention to what God, the Holy Spirit, in His Word says to us about the relevance of the gospel for here and now. The gospel is relevant to you today, or it is not relevant to you for eternity. It is relevant to you today because it is a gospel that has secured our glorious hope. So our attention this morning is going to be given to Hebrews chapter 4 as an introduction to this series. We will be tonight looking at Psalm 84 together. And then on Wednesday night, we're going to talk about the relevance of the Word of God and the Spirit of God for dealing with spiritual battle. And then next Sunday morning, we will be spending some time looking at a very familiar passage of Scripture from 1 Corinthians 13, the infamous, or maybe I should say famous, love passage in 1 Corinthians 13. I want to encourage us, though, to see it in the way in which I think the Apostle Paul lays it out for us. Then, next Sunday night, we'll be looking at a familiar encounter of Jesus with a particular woman who is described as a sinner woman, and I want you to see the relevance of the gospel for forgiveness of your neighbor here and now. So we're going to be looking at all those things together, and uh, this morning I'd like to turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 4. So let's look at verses 14 through 16 of Hebrews 4. Hear now the word of the living God. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please bow your head with me in a word of prayer. As the psalmist puts it in Psalm 119, O God, that your testimonies are altogether righteous. Give us understanding then that we might live. Thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you that your word is outbreathed by your spirit, that it is the very grounding of our lives and our faith. 
And we thank you that your word written speaks to us, O God, of the word incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of whom we have just read. We thank you for the genuine, for real hope, the genuine and for real provision that we have in and through Jesus. So I pray, dear Father, for these your children, may they know perhaps afresh maybe even some for the first time, of the all-satisfactory, gloriously sufficient ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in his life, death, resurrection, and ongoing intercession. I pray these things in his name. Amen. Life's a struggle. Sometimes it doesn't even seem worth it. Faith doesn't seem to work. God seems extraordinarily distant from us. We may read our Bibles and it is as though the words come through our eye gates and seem to flutter out from us with no impact. We believe... Or so we claim that the gospel is good news, but really, if we are honest, that good news is something that is quite distant news. After all, what does the gospel, the good news, have to do with me caring for my ailing parents? What does the gospel have to do with the lawsuit in which I find myself engulfed? What does the gospel have to do with the diagnosis that the doctor has just given me? What does the gospel have to do with the ebb and flow of a volatile market and economy where our portfolios appear to be high one year and have crashed yet another? What does the gospel have to do with the crisis of ISIS? What does the gospel have to do with the squabble that my daughter is having with her ballet teacher? What does the gospel have to do with me? As I mentioned, we, many of us, live with this notion that the gospel is somehow relevant for eternity, that we have a hope that is indeed yet future, but do not seem to grasp the relevance of it for today. We will read a passage like Psalm 23 and read that the Lord is my shepherd, and we find comfort there, but somehow our heart tells us that maybe it's just that the Lord one day will be our shepherd. In it all, we tote this curious and, I might add, unbiblical conviction that the Jesus who will help us for tomorrow is simply not up to helping us today. That the future gospel is something that is a present-day irrelevant gospel. You will find no such language anywhere in Scripture. You will find no such argument anywhere in the New Testament. In fact, as we will see this morning, if the gospel is irrelevant today, your hope is in vain for the future. 
the Lord Jesus Christ who has given his life, who has died, who has been buried according to scriptures, raised on the third day according to the scriptures, is living now ever to intercede for you here and now. There is no place for the tyranny of a tomorrow Jesus. The gospel drives us to an appreciation that the Jesus of tomorrow is indeed the Jesus of today. Three points then this morning that I want to address from these three verses in Hebrews chapter 4. One from each of these three verses. In it all, I want you to hear that the Jesus that is the same is the Jesus that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our first point is this. Look at verse 14 again. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. First point then. Rest in his victory. Where do we see victory here? Well, let me, let me walk you through this verse for just a moment. Jesus here is described as a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Just a word about the priesthood of Christ. If you look at the letter of Hebrews as a whole, it's 13 chapters long. It is a book that is replete with profound, deep, significant theology. It is a book that is tirelessly probing the implications of the work and ministry of Jesus Christ, reflecting upon his fulfillment of all that was promised in the Old Testament. It is a book that is rich in theology, but as we read through this particular epistle, we will find that it is not merely a theological treatise. It is not merely here for our intellectual stimulation. Chapter 13, the author of Hebrews writes, I have written you this brief exhortation. Many commentators will describe the letter of Hebrews as actually a sermon. This is a 13-chapter sermon. If I was to preach a 13-chapter sermon, you would be here a while. Well, after all, you got an extra hour of sleep, so let's go for it. Why not? But it is described as a brief word of exhortation, that Hebrews is written to exhort the people of God unto something. And part of that something we are going to find in this particular passage. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1, verses 1 and 2, arguably is the central theme of that exhortation. And it is the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is described then as the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus' priesthood is roundly contrasted with the Aaronic priesthood. How did you become a priest in the Old Covenant? You became a priest if you were a descendant of Aaron. Jesus was not. How did Jesus qualify as a priest? Well, Hebrews chapter 7 tells us. I'm sorry, chapter 10 tells us. 10.16, Jesus is described as the one who possesses an indestructible life. What qualified Jesus for this priesthood is actually who he was and how he became that high priest by his obedience to his father. 
What does a priest do? A priest mediates for sinners. Guess who that is? You're looking at him, and I'm looking at them. The the priesthood of Jesus is set apart from any other prior priesthood. His is categorically superior. Why? Well, Hebrews chapter 7 through 10 tells us. I won't read all of that, but let me summarize a couple of themes. First of all, we see that every priest of the lineage of Aaron dies. Jesus possesses an indestructible life. Not even death could hold him down. His priesthood is ongoing. Do not make the mistake when you recall the words of Jesus when he said his work was finished. It is finished. It does not mean that all of his work is finished. His redeeming, forgiving work was finished. But Hebrews 7, 24 and 25 describes this high priest as this very moment interceding for you. He is the one who has the shorthand here in Hebrews 4, 14, passed through the heavens. What does that mean? It is shorthand script for saying that he has succeeded. He has entered into the holy place in the heavens on our behalf so that we are granted full access to God. Rather than being damned, rather than being condemned for all eternity, we are the blessed recipients of his redeeming, forgiving grace exclusively through the Lord Jesus Christ. But that is not merely a hope for the future. That is a reality for here and now. This great high priest lives ever to intercede for us. Another way in which Jesus' priesthood is superior to that of the Old Testament priests. He is described in chapter 10 as a priest who sat down. I don't know whether you know anything about the Old Covenant priests. Guess what they never did? They never sat down. You know why they never sat down? Because their work was never finished. They collapsed and died, and another priest had to take their place. Jesus dies and raises again from the dead. And he sits down because his redeeming work was done. But then, as the one who has passed through the heavens, he today lives ever to intercede for us. Why? Look back at Hebrews chapter 2 for just a minute. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. I will not read all of that. I want to look at verses 17 and 18. But 10 through 18 is the, the most significant articulation of Christ Jesus's solidarity with us that he actually took on human flesh. I'll say more about that later. But why does Jesus come from heaven, take on human flesh? 
Learn obedience through the things which he has suffered. Become that high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, not the Aaronic priesthood. Why does he do that? We see this in part in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Listen. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Let me stop there for a moment. Do you see how you are identified as the brothers, the brethren, the brothers and sisters of this Jesus? He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Let me stop there for a moment. Part of Jesus' ministry was to pay for your vulgar, hideous, rebellious sin. He made propitiation that the wrath of God is covered by the blood of Christ so that you are welcomed into this throne room. Look what else. Verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Do you realize that what what, what is described here is that Jesus' purpose by taking on human flesh, going through the sufferings that he undertook, he did so that he could identify with you and me so that he would be a relevant interceding high priest, saving and sympathizing. What we see here then in Hebrews 4.14, we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us then hold fast to our confession. This word, confession, uh, this is a fascinating word uh, in, in the original text. It, it's a word that actually means to, to say the same thing, perhaps an agreement. Part of what the church of Jesus Christ is called to do, and I'll say more in, in our next point about the, the, the historical context of this particular people, scattered, forlorn, wandering, and wandering. But, but part of what we need to grasp is that they are called in the midst of their suffering to hold fast their confession, their agreement. Their agreement about what? Their agreement about Jesus. You see, when we confess our faith together, when we publicly profess our faith together, we do so in agreement but I also want you to note with whom you are agreeing. You are not only agreeing with one another. Do you know what you're doing when you confess your faith together? You are also agreeing with the Father who has said who this Son is and what He has done. So you think through the Gospel accounts at Jesus' baptism at the Mount of Transfiguration, you hear the voice of the Father, something that the Apostle Peter in his last letter reflects on in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. The Apostle Peter there will describe in memory of that event in which the three disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration saw Jesus' face transformed, but they heard a voice from heaven. And that voice from heaven, the Father is speaking. And he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. When you confess 
Jesus as the beloved son in whom the Father is well pleased. You are confessing, you are in agreement with God about what he has said about his son. We are called here then in Hebrews 4.14 to, to rest in the all-sufficient, sit-down-at-the-right-hand-of-God ministry of Jesus. We are called to, to rest in his victory over sin and death, his ongoing intercession for us as the living high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. I mentioned our four children when we moved here. We had two more after we came. We have a family of six. As I said to the folks in the first congregation or first service, all of my children are different. Some are more different than others. But every family who has more than zero children is aware that sometimes meal times can be a bit of a challenge with a young family. And one of those challenges concerns the food on the plate. For many young children, you must put the meat in one quadrant of the plate, the applesauce in another, the peas in another, the bread in another, and they must never touch one another. And no amount of persuasion about the blending in the digestive system does anything for a five-year-old. Now, some of you are saying, I still eat that way. What's the matter with it? It's what I call the the no-touchy rule. And my concern this morning is not about how you eat. My concern is how you live. Many of us live by a no-touchy rule as it relates to the gospel. We, We segment our hearts in ways that are partitioned. So that the gospel is relevant to this dimension of my life, but not another. What Hebrews wants us to appreciate is that the Lord Jesus Christ identifies with us exhaustively. And that as he is raised from the dead, Lord of lords, King of kings, he is sovereign and relevant over everything, or he is sovereign and relevant over nothing. This high priest who has passed through the heavens, this successful son, we are called to together confess that this is the beloved son in whom God is well pleased. It is also, as Hebrews 2 will tell us, that as as Jesus looks at us, the ones for whom he has given his life, the ones for whom he intercedes, he is not ashamed of to call us brothers and sisters. Do you know that Christ, the one who intercedes for you, is not ashamed to call you his brother or sister precisely because his blood covers your sin? And that what, in effect, that means is that As the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, Jesus says, guess what? This church for whom I have given my life, 
These are the beloved sons and daughters in whom we are well pleased. The high priest, the high priestly ministry of Jesus leaves no room for a no-touchy segmenting of our hearts. We are called then to confess our faith together, to rest in his victory for today. Let me turn us to verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Not only are we called to rest in his victory, we are called to receive his sympathy. Note how he is identified here. He is the one who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but he is one who identifies with us. He has suffered like we have suffered. He is the one that knows us. The audience to whom this letter is written is a group of forlorn, struggling people. I want you to imagine if you were in their midst, you have heard of the apostolic message, you have heard perhaps even the apostles themselves preaching it. You have heard them say that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who is, as the Apostle Paul will put it, yes and amen to all the promises of God without exception. He is the one that is the focal point, the protagonist of all of history. This Jesus is the Son. And your problem is as follows. If Jesus is the yes and amen to all of the promises of God, why do I have such struggle? Why is life so difficult? The author of Hebrews lays this out brilliantly. I wish we had time to do this, but this is a little background. Hebrews 3 and 4. Two full chapters that, that are right prior to the section that we're reading now. The author of Hebrews makes this very, very telling analogy. He hearkens back to the time of the Old Covenant people as they have been rescued from their bondage in Egypt. And as they have been redeemed in the Exodus, they've crossed the sea on dry ground. They've seen their enemies go under the submerging judgment of God. They are redeemed, and now where do they find themselves but in the wilderness? You see, their redemption has taken place, but they have not yet crossed into the promised land. And hearkening back to the ministry of Moses and Joshua in Hebrews 3 and 4, the author of Hebrews says, the New Testament people of God, that's you and me, that we are analogous to those people. Jesus' redemptive work is finished, but we haven't yet crossed over the Jordan. And it is in the context of our wilderness wandering that we are called to hold fast to our confession. It is in that context in which we are also to enjoy the sympathizing ministry of our elder brother 
Jesus Christ. It is in the context of our suffering, of our wandering, of our pain, of our ailments, of our threats, of the temptations that we face, that we are called to receive Jesus' sympathy. Let me put it a little differently. You see, that the Jesus of tomorrow is the Jesus of today who shows us his sympathizing compassion in our wilderness wandering. We are to receive his sympathy, a sympathy as a high priest, the one Jesus who has been made flesh and blood as we see in Hebrews 2, 10 through 18. He is fully identified with us so that he might relate to us in our weakness. The church, for many years, has struggled with this very point. How is it that Jesus, being God, can really relate? How is it that that Jesus can really sympathize? After all, he's God. How could he relate to us? I don't want to make this a history lesson this morning, but let me just say summarily this point. As you look at the last 150 years of theology in this country, what you will find is that the liberalizing of the mainline denominations was largely because the mainline denominations were denying the deity of Christ, the miracles of Christ, the resurrection bodily of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were doing so to their absolute rejection and abandonment of Scripture. And with thanks to God, churches like Alden Union have sprung up in which we have, as as faithful Christians, sought to submit ourselves to the teaching of Scripture that Jesus is truly divine, but we must not make a similar error. By emphasizing the deity of Christ that we in some way would understate his humanity. Jesus is fully God and fully man. The reason that he can fully identify with you, sympathize with you, is because he is just like you. He has taken on, as Paul will say in Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, the likeness of sinful flesh. And it is in that context of a man born of woman, Galatians 4, 4, born under the law, under the curse of the law, that Jesus redeems us because he became one with us. See, the reason that Jesus can identify with us is because he is one of us. He can fully sympathize. But then you say, wait a second. It says right here in the text, read it again. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see? Jesus can't really relate to me because he's never sinned. Really? When is temptation at its highest critical point? Before you've given into it, or after you've given into it? 
You see, there is no more temptation to sin when you've already said yes to sin. The precise reason, then, that Jesus can identify with us fully is because he always said no to sin and yes to his Father. There is no weakness, no temptation that you face that Jesus Christ cannot fully identify with, sympathize with, and show himself as wholly adequate. We are called to rest in his victory. We are called to receive his sympathy. Let me put it a little differently. The author of Hebrews would have us understand this, that that if Jesus is truly our Savior, he must also be our sympathizer. If he cannot genuinely sympathize, he cannot genuinely save. And what we have is an authentic, genuine, resurrected, passed through the heavens, Jesus, mediator of the new covenant. And we have one who wholly sympathizes with our weakness. My family and I lived in Eastern Europe for some years earlier in in 2000s. We moved to Bulgaria, and when we arrived in the plane in Sofia, Bulgaria, the capital city, got off the plane and tried to make our way into that culture, find a place to live, and the only thing I knew uh, of Bulgarian when I got there was the alphabet, so I had to have help in everything that I did, and one of those things early on was trying to find a vehicle in the capital city, one and a half, two million people, a vehicle that would accommodate all eight of my family members. That was no small challenge. When I did that research throughout the city, I found three options. I don't mean three models, I mean three options. And As I landed on one of those, I knew several things that you need to be aware of as well, is that at that particular point in Eastern European history, every vehicle that you bought was used, point one. Point two, every vehicle you bought, all the good parts had been taken out and sold, and the parts had been replaced with poorer parts. So, point three, you knew your vehicle was going to break down at some point, you just didn't know whether that was today or tomorrow. Point four, you also know that your odometer has been rolled back. You just don't know how far. I could see the hole in my dashboard where that had taken place. I still bought it. I drove it that day, excited. I drove it the next day, not so excited. I came to a stoplight at an intersection that is, I I couldn't even begin to describe to you. I've never seen anything like it before or since. Bizarre intersection, the light turns red, I thought that meant stop. Nobody honked, so I felt like I was in good shape. The light turned green, my engine stopped. And horns began to blare. People began to yell. I didn't know the language, so I'm very glad I don't know what they were saying. Then I remembered that our first purchase when we had arrived in Bulgaria was to buy a cell phone, and I knew that I was going to phone a friend. 
So a fellow missionary that was helping us when we arrived, I called him and I said, listen, this is my situation. And he said to me a very important question. Where are you? I don't know. Well, what do the signs around you say? Can't read them. Well, what are the people saying to you? Can't understand them. I'll pray for you, click. (laughs) Then I heard the following. Ding, 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 ding. Not only was I at that point nervous about the horns honking and the people yelling, I now had a ding, ding in my ear, and I discovered that the ding, ding meant that I was sitting on top of a trolley track. And the trolley came up right behind me, and it began to blow its horn as well. Here I am, surrounded by people, surrounded by signs that would give me information, but none of them made sense to me. Nobody spoke my language. I've never been so surrounded by people and felt so all alone. Some of you are like that. You may be facing struggles that are too deep for words. You may be facing crises and difficulties and pains that no one seems to understand. You feel all alone. You may even have verses on your refrigerator or on your window, and they seem to be empty. No people, no words identify. But guess what? As the people of God, you are never alone. This sympathizing, living Savior who intercedes in heaven for you right now was interceding for me at that ridiculous situation in my life, all alone, surrounded by people, and he knows my language. He knows yours. We are to receive. In time of need, as we'll see in the next verse, the sympathizing ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'll come back to that story in just a minute. Let's look at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace for help in time of need. Note the flow of the logic here from verses 14 to 16. We have the successful Savior having passed through the heavens, having as we see in Hebrews chapter 5 verses 7 through 10, a son who has learned obedience through the things which he has suffered. He has qualified as the son par excellence, and now having died, he is raised from the dead. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He has sat down. His work is done, but his work ongoing is to intercede for you. And that's intercessory mediatorial work of Jesus enables us, as this verse says, to plow through the heavens, to go to the very throne of grace. And who will we find there but the Jesus who sympathizes with our weaknesses? And as we see here in verse 16, that we can go to that throne in confidence because this is the Jesus who said, I'm not ashamed to call you my brothers and sisters. 
And this is the Jesus who says, you come to me and you'll receive mercy and find grace for help in time of need. There are three waterfalls that make up Niagara, which I understand is the second largest waterfall in the world. Niagara evidently has 750,000 gallons of water per second cascading downward. We are supposed to drink eight ounces of water eight times a day. 375,000 gallons of water per second is a lot of water. I want you to think about it this way. The blessings of God are like that cascading waterfall. There is unlimited resource that comes from the sympathizing high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who has passed through the heavens, the one who has been tested in every way like we, yet without sin, and because of that, identifies with us, and he is the one in whom we will find all the provisions in our time of need. Why is it then, people of God, that we come to the cascading blessings of Christ with a Dixie cup? And somehow we think that we can get by with just a little drip to our lips. We need to repent of our Dixie Cup confessions and come boldly to the throne of grace and find there Jesus, the all-sympathizing Savior whose bountiful blessings and provisions will always outdo every one of our situations and circumstances. He is more than adequate. We're to relish then his adequacy. Delight in it. Bask in it. And when you find yourself like I in that car all alone, actually or metaphorically, when people around you don't seem to speak your language, you will find in Jesus one who identifies with you, who knows your heart language. He is more than adequate. A group of people got outside that trolley, pushed my van over to the side of the road, got me out of the way, left me there again. Thirty minutes later, my vehicle started. My mechanic to this day has no idea how that happened. I do. Like you, I have a sympathizing high priest. If that hadn't been the way out, there would have been another, because he will not leave us or forsake us. May we turn from our theology that proclaims the relevance of a Jesus for tomorrow and his irrelevance for today, may we instead bask in his blessing, bask in his provision, bask in his sympathy, and find in Jesus victory, sympathy, and adequacy. Yesterday, today, and forever.
Jesus intercedes for you today. Help us, Father, to know in our hearts the relevance of the mediatorial work of Christ, the intercessory work of Christ. Help us to delight in it. Forgive us for doubting, for somehow being dismissive of the relevance of the sympathizing work of Christ and instead turn our hearts to a full and delighted submission to the truth of his day-to-day intercessory work on our behalf. So as we pray in closing, Father, I join my brothers and sisters here thanking you that Jesus is not ashamed of us. We thank you that that is true by his blood and by his ongoing intercessory ministry on our behalf. We pray these things in the name of the one who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, whose confession enable us, O God. Let's close by taking out our hymnals. Let's open up to hymn number 417. Let's all stand. Let's sing together. No one understands like Jesus.
Receive now the benediction. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all today and forevermore. Amen.